0: Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor.
1: I normally say, hey, Augie, but I'm going to say, hey, Augie, hey, Hillary. (laughs) Hey, Nia. (laughs) (laughs) Good morning.
2: (laughs) How are y'all? We're good. Thank you. Um,
1: We are back because Hillary agreed and silly her agreed to talk to us some more about copyright and um, artists and their sort of the, the selling of their catalog, Augie and I are both fascinated by the idea, first of all, by the amount of money involved in the selling of these catalogs. Because if you asked me to sell you my life's work, it'd probably be worth about $4.80. I mean, like, it's not, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't have this, I have never written a Grammy winning song. Or I've never done anything <laughs> like that. But
3: uh, yeah, a lot I mean, of these artists. Yeah, I,
2: I, I, Nia, I agree with you. I mean, every time I put my syllabus, that yeah, my lecture notes are my intellectual property. Right. I, I chuckle when I when I write it, and, and I chuckle when I say it in class because I'm like nobody in their right mind would spend any money, okay, <laughs> buying my to, work. Right. Yeah, trying to use you know my lecture notes. For whatever purpose, the the fact that I've had former students try to sell my lecture notes to other future <laughs> students hey, okay, just blows, I, my, it
1: blows my mind. I know right? a copyright librarian that can help you with that. <laughs> 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 but Hillary, I want to ask you about, oh, sorry. But,
2: but, but, but the, to set the stage, uh, listeners, what Nia's talking about, I'm just going to give one example, okay? uh Bob Dylan um you know the master songwriter the voice of a generation if you will okay sold his publishing catalog um uh, a couple years ago to universal music for an estimated 300 to 400 million dollars earlier in 2022 he then sold his master recordings to sony music for a, again, it's estimated another two hundred million, so at minimum, Bob Dylan sold his written work and his master recordings for a half a billion dollars, roughly speaking, and that's what that's what we're talking about in this episode, okay yeah. these these popular musician songwriters selling okay, they're songs, and Hillary's going to talk about in just a, a moment a rather important distinction, they're songs to not only media corporations, but in some instances, according to our research, hedge funds and investment firms <laughs> who are buying these catalogs
1: for just obscene amounts of money, Okay. Yeah. So, Hillary, can we start with the first question, which is what what is the artist actually selling?
3: Yeah. So, well, it depends when you say artist, it depends on who we're talking about. So a a lot of the time I think we tend to think and it is the case that the artist of the song, the person who's going to end up performing it, being known for it, is also the person who wrote the song. Um, That's not necessarily the case. So imagine you have a situation where there is a songwriter. Um, who is credited, but right, they're not the one performing the music. And so there is the actual composition, which you can think of as like written down, you know, on, on staff paper, notes written out, lyrics written down, the idea of the song, right? The nebulous thing that is floating in the air actually captured somewhere other than a sound recording, because the sound recording gets its own set of rights, so I think usually it's called the composition and the recording maybe is how we can think of them. Those are two separate things. So say you're the songwriter, but you didn't perform it. You're going to be working in that area of the composition. Uh, publishing is usually called either publishing groups that buy these rights. If you're the performer, it's gonna be those recordings. Um, and I think it's interesting, right? Lots of people can record the song. So especially say it's a songwriter who's shopping the song around. You might get three, four, five different people who are recording this same song and the song writer, those publishing rights, the composition rights is going to be making money on all of those cases. Uh, Whereas the person who's recording is just going to be, again, like right, getting revenue from the recording.
1: So a songwriter could separately sell the song to multiple artists. Mm hmm. Okay, so that's yes. why you get However, copy, that's why you get multiple copies of a song. So Bob Dylan records "All Along the Watchtower," and so does um, Jimi Hendrix. And Jimi Hendrix's version takes off; like it's the song that it's the recording of the song that everybody thinks, thinks of when they think of yeah. "All Along the Watchtower." They think of the Jimi Hendrix version. Um, yeah. So Bob Dylan made money three different ways he made money by by recording the song himself and owning Mm -hmm. it he made money by sorry by writing the song then by recording it Mm -hmm. and then by selling it to Jimi hendrix to record yep and so okay so then when he sold the publishing rights when he sold the the song rights now The Universal Music Publishing could sell that to anybody to record so we could get a version recorded by pick an unlikely artist, Adele, Adele could record all along the (laughs) watch, which, by the way, I would actually pay to listen to Um, that would be or
2: or 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 a, a classic artist a jazz artist yeah you know,
3: making a an arrangement jazz version. of it
1: mm-hmm. yeah get a jazz version of all along the watchtower. oh my right? gosh that would be awesome a sort or, of you know uh, a sort uh, of r&b you know or or, or a rap version <laughs> right i oh, mean you well, know, yeah
3: you know i mean you i, I
1: have
2: could, it or having
3: it sampled or having right th- and there's two layers for you there too sampling an actual recording of it or Starting from scratch. Oh, so the question the, there is, the do you have to
1: buy in order to sample?
3: Oh, that's an interesting one that could be a whole episode in itself. Uh, yes, not necessarily because fair use, the part of copyright law that says there are some uses that don't require permission or payment, not because fair use doesn't necessarily apply to sampling, but because people are going to sue you. <laughs> it's, ah. it's just really, com- it's really litigious and it's it's just common to get permission for sampling, because there have been some cases that basically court cases that just kind of freaked everyone out in the music industry. And the best thing to do is sample. And that's sort of a chilling effect, I think has has happened because of that.
1: Oh, okay, so if I wanted to sample a tiny piece of Jolene, um, I would need to pay Dolly Parton to do that, or at the very least, get Dolly Parton's permission, permission. to do that. Mm-hmm. And um, she may not charge me, right? Like, they don't have to charge. If Dylan and right. Hendrix got together, and they were just having a beer, and, and Hendrix said, I really want to record that, Dylan could have just said, okay, go ahead. Mm-hmm. And they could have had a lawyer write up a document that says, you have permission to do this, and not paid. Right, so there's no, it doesn't have to be an exchange of money.
2: Well, and it's funny, uh, uh, Nia. You mentioned Dolly Parton. Dolly Parton wrote a song, "I'll Always Love You." She sold the 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 rights of that song. Now she recorded it. It was a country music hit, but she recorded the written rights. She sold the written rights. Okay, and she didn't know that Whitney Houston rec- recorded a version of it for the movie The Bodyguard and then she heard here's it on the radio okay and becomes a huge hit so not only did she make money on her recorded version she made a busload of money because it became w- w- if not the biggest hit in w- Whitney Houston's career one of yeah. right so you know and and that's that's a thing and this is where it gets really complicated right because you know if you're a songwriter you want people to record your music right you may not like the recorded version but because they did record it you're going to make money every time that recorded version gets bought
1: and just as an aside listeners she loved that version Oh, yeah. She She loved Whitney Houston's version. She said Whitney Houston was amazing because Whitney Houston was amazing, had an amazing voice, Um, lost lost to sing the so. okay, so you could sell your let's just say, for instance, that so Augie writes a song, right, and he sells it to a company and then he has sellers regret. Years later, he's like, man, they have let some real chuckleheads record my song, and I am not enjoying this at all. He can try to buy that back, right? He can try to get his his ownership back if he wants for other people to stop recording his song. Mm -hmm. Is that even a thing, or is it that once it's gone, you have to have so much money? Whoa, whoa, whoa. It's a huge thing, isn't
3: it, Hillary? Mm-hmm. It's a huge thing, and there—I mean—the probably the most well-known, well-documented case is with the Beatles, um, and decades of Paul McCartney trying and then succeeding in getting rights back to the music. And there's two things there: first, trying to opportunities to purchase. So, say it's a company that bought it, and maybe the company is is being sold or selling off rights. You have an opportunity there um, if you're the highest bidder. Um, which is not necessarily always the case. Uh, Paul McCartney at one point was uh massively outbid by Michael Jackson, I believe, after he had been casually talking to Michael Jackson about wanting to buy uh his his rights back. Um, so that was not not a great situation. Um but that then is not also, a friend. No, but he also took advantage of it, and it's specific to US copyright law. There is this clause or something in in copyright law that says specifically for the situation you're talking about someone gets a bad deal early in their career there are ways you can sue the publisher or or under law get the publisher to return those rights to you after a certain amount of time and I want to say it's like 56 years or something it's a real weird system of like 28 years plus 28 years it's I, I don't really understand. It's one of those weird areas that when I first heard about it, I was like, "Really? There's like a I don't even know what you would call like a, a, a little evacuation route right <laughs> around back of copyright law that that gives yeah, you these so rights back." I thought it was really cool when I heard about it, but um, that, claw- yeah, that was the first presi- case. It,
2: mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a clawback uh, provision in the copyright law. Okay, yep. um, but
1: but I'm assuming that part of that is because young artists often get taken advantage of in terms of you're young, you're starving, right? Cause you haven't made it yet. So you're not getting in a whole lot of money. And somebody says, hey man, I'll buy your songs for what is at the point a pittance because they're not buying they're not buying it for millions of dollars the way they are with Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan established himself and then he sold his his stuff for two hundred three hundred million dollars five hundred million dollars, right? because he was a well established artist. Mm-hmm. But if you are just a young artist in the in in the music industry, isn't there a fair bit of sort of exploitation of, sure, I'll buy your song for fifty bucks because you need it the ha- money.
2: It happens two ways. First, your songs get bought by a publishing company, right? Um, And Hillary can probably speak to this in in more depth, right? There are songwriters who are are on the paid staff of publishing companies, and their job is just to write music for Mm. other people, right? So you may not get a huge royalty rate if you're on the paid staff of a publishing company, but if you're a new artist, where music companies in particular take advantage is that they give you the money up front to go into the studio to record your music, but then you owe them all that money that was basically quote unquote loaned to you that cover the cost. So you may end up owing them three, four, five, six albums just to go ahead.
1: Oh, and get your first one
2: okay, and there. if okay. And if you don't make any money right away, you're like in debt to them, right? And that's why you see, you know, a lot of, you know, new artists, okay, who, unless they get a big hit or unless they can make a whole bunch of money touring, they can't buy their way out of that contract that they signed with the music company, okay? So, you know, you know, the classic example is, you know, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers had a couple really well-known, you know, uh, albums, the first two albums, but I think it was with their third album, okay? Uh, the record label, okay, was just like, Um, you still owe us a bunch more albums. And oh yeah, by the way, we're raising the price on your albums. And Tom Petty was just like, I want to renegotiate my deal. And oh yeah, by the way, I don't want you to raise the price of the album you charge to consumers. And Tom Petty basically had already recorded a new album, but he wouldn't turn over the master recordings to the record label he was at one point driving around LA with the master recordings (laughs) in the trunk of his car. (laughs) He didn't want the record label. Okay. To get their hands on the master recordings. Okay. I mean, the, some, some of the stories Uh. are just bizarre, right? But they do get exploited. Okay. And the exploitation has been made worse because now most you could say this in most developed countries, but particularly in the United States, most Americans no longer buy albums. They don't buy physical, okay, vinyl, right? Although vinyl
1: is making a return among hipsters.
2: That's right. Okay. But most Americans now download music, right? Right. They
1: stream it or they
2: download they stream it. it. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: okay. But the streaming services, because of, Their ability to control the marketplace have basically said to record labels and their artists, we're only going to give you so many cents for every download. So the source of income has begun to dry up for a lot of these artists. So, if you, you know, listeners, if you're trying to understand why artists, no matter what point they are in their career, They want to sell both their uh, uh, written uh, uh, or publishing rights, but also their recording rights. The music landscape has changed. The marketplace has changed. So, you know, and me, I know you're pretty fascinated by, you know, younger artists who have already sold the rights to both their written music but also their recorded music
1: i'm fascinated when i'm fascinated in in both instances when they do it and when they don't and when they have seller's regret because i'm i know that taylor swift had a huge fracas with the person who bought her music
3: master recordings Mm -hmm.
1: and so she's re-recording now hillary she can re-record her songs and
3: then they're back to being hers again. This, this, the new the, the version. No, like, what the, happens? The new set of recordings can be now it, it, yes, it, it can be or else it it would be owned by maybe a different recording company, right? Let's say she's switched who she's working with. Um And it would depend to some extent, it would depend. Does she own the written rights the publishing rights maybe she's still got a great relationship with the people who own the publishing rights and she's going to I, I assume either she owns them or she's working with someone she trusts to re-record yep she can own these new recordings or you know whatever company she's working with so it's basically you can start to get lots of parties that you're involved with over time that you work with one publishing group and then they sell it off to another company. And maybe that's a publishing group. Maybe that's a hedge fund, who knows? And then you're stuck working with them um, because the contracts, like a lot of contracts will have, I don't know, this is not the right language, but traveling provisions, you know what I mean? That says like, when you're with this company, they're going to give you 15% royalties on this. And if we sell off, if we, you know, this contract switches to someone else, either it's going to be renegotiated or you're going to keep, getting your 15 percent so right you can be bouncing around with all these companies you can work with multiple uh record Mm -hmm. companies over time and you can Mm -hmm. imagine how complex it gets and i think that's one of the reasons why these artists may want to sell off is because if they're at the end of their career they're looking ahead they've got kids who they're going to start writing hopefully they already have wills in place and they're like do i want to try to split 17 different publishing and hedge fund and record company contracts with all these parties between my six kids or something like that. They're like, no, I'm just going to, I'm just going to try to sell everything, get one lump sum, split the money out. That might be simpler. And That's in too- Taylor,
2: Taylor Swift's case, Nina, um, the master recordings were owned by her previous record label. I think it was big machine, but in the contract, was a time limit. So mm-hmm. when her master recordings became available, okay, for basically auction, okay, the previous head of Big Machine went ahead and bought them, okay, which really upset her. Yeah, because she, was she like, can't
1: stand that guy. Yeah.
2: And she was just like, and I want ownership of my original master recordings. Mm-hmm. And He was just like, are you kidding me? They're worth, okay, whatever I paid. So, but when he bought them, okay, there was not an exclusivity clause in the contract, which is now allowing her to re-record all of her previous songs, okay? Does she
1: have? Sorry, go does to, she have to change them at all, or can she yeah, record yeah uh, them? Yeah,
2: yes, 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 yes. Does she yes, have yes. to make
1: slight adjustments to the she arrangements to make in a, order? Yeah,
2: she has to make changes, because otherwise she would have to pay okay, him, him okay. <laughs> to record her songs. Okay, and, and, and she's written or co-written most of the music
1: on her albums. Oh, right? that, that brings up an interesting question for me, for y'all. Okay, so co a lot of songs are co-written, yes. right? They're written by two people mm-hmm. because that's a lot of times how songs just work. That's yeah, a collaborative have, experience, you know, right? You have somebody who's artists, playing yeah. who's playing the music and somebody else who's writing the words, uh, right? Gilbert and Sullivan, Rodgers and Hammerstein, like it's a known thing that a lot of times you have pairs that work together in these kinds of things. Lenn-
2: Lennon and McCarthy, you know, Simon <laughs> and Garfunkel, right? right. Yes,
1: so. If, if for instance, Simon and Garfunkel, let's just use your last example. Um, if Paul Simon, who actually wrote a lot of their music by himself, but if he had not, if he had written something with Art Garfunkel and he sold his rights to a song, that doesn't automatically sell Garfunkel's rights to the song, right? Like mm-hmm. Garfunkel could still ha- own his half if, of whatever the song is. So, is that, doesn't that complicate who oh, can who can yes. sell a music, who can lease a music? Because if you're talking about a band, but let's just say you're talking about Fleetwood Mac, okay? Yes. Everybody in Fleetwood Mac, everybody in Fleetwood Mac wrote songs. And everybody wrote, like on some songs, a whole bunch of them wrote, three or four people wrote on the song. So, you have Lindsey Buckingham, you have Stevie Nicks, you have... um Christine McVie. Thank you. Christine McVie, right. All writing on a same song. If only one of them sells the rights, does that mean that the other two can prevent something from being recorded or
3: that they have to like, how does that even work? I mean, I think it all comes down to the, the contracts So the way it breaks down. So. Under copyright law, the standard for co-authorship is if you don't specify in writing, I'm pretty sure otherwise, it breaks down 50-50. And it doesn't matter if you came in and said, how about this, how about we change two words in the chorus to something else, Um, and that's all you contributed to the song it's going to be 50 50 unless you break it down otherwise. And these companies are going to make you break it down. Otherwise, when they're cutting a deal with, you know, let's say it's a pair of collaborators. They're going to say, okay, who's, who's getting what. Um, and it can be the case. I'm sure that like on one Fleetwood Mac album, maybe they had lots of different, right? Like every song had a different arrangement of who, of who wrote what, but you see it like with, you mentioned Len and McCartney, where they, Agreed up front, they said, "Okay, even if one of us goes off and writes, and maybe the other one comes in a little, we're just going to credit it to the two of us. We're just going to do that." Which, in my mind, I actually think helped keep a lot of those rights bundled together. Because if you can imagine the the songwriting credits were only credited to one or the other of them, you, you know, you they would have gone broken out in different directions possibly.
2: With the the publishing, imagine how messy things would get in a band
1: yeah okay um i mean well you know. kiss has four members if you broke it down 25 percent for each mm-hmm. right for a recording it, it, not not it, for a writing but for a recording because the whole okay. band plays on the recording no, it,
2: okay and, and and that's a really important distinction because recording a song is different than writing the song right, right?
1: Okay. (laughs) So, would they each get? So, they'd each get twenty five percent of the royalties, right? For, for Detroit Rock City, they each get four percent, twenty five percent. And if somebody sells their recording rights, then the other three are working with whoever that party is. Okay, and they're still getting their twenty five percent each. Yes. Okay, so it's in the it's in the music publisher the the sorry not the publisher the recorder the the recording studio it's in their best interest to get all four of those people to sell their rights at one time so that they they only have to deal with that if they can
2: but what my research indicates is that you use the example of Fleetwood Mac okay um uh four of the five members have sold their rights to different companies
3: (laughs) well Okay. Can we just, for listening Fleetwood Mac as a legal entity is just, (laughs) is just several dozen lawyers sitting (laughs) in a giant conference room, trying to make spot, bring Spotify to heal or something. Right. Like, can
1: we just side note on, I'm just going to go off here on a small tiny tangent for Fleetwood Mac, which is, that is what happens when people, when you have People who are married to other people, but who sleep with other people in the band and there turns out to be a lot of drama and everybody ends up breaking up, getting together, breaking up, getting together, like that you are going to end up with a contentious. If people wonder sometimes why bands break up, I think in part it's this kind of thing. It's the money. It's the, it's the, it's somebody being treated differently than everybody else, Yeah. right? Like that kind of thing. Oh, well, you're the star of the band and everybody else in the band is like, dude, I'm over here playing the guitar until my fingers fall off. Mm I, I, I'm
3: important to this. Yes, but sorry, and we've got to break it down in numbers. And we've just got to put a number on everyone's percentage. And and the one who, you know, the one who stands up front
1: is the one who sells the most, right? Stevie Nicks probably had a higher percentage in some ways than anybody else in the band because she was one of the front people. So I imagine that that causes a lot of consternation in bands of already interesting artistic personalities, and then you mix money into it, I'm sure it turns into a a giant um, uh, mess. So uh, so I want to ask about, if I could, this idea of the music industry changing okay so back in the day way back in the day the music industry i think worked a lot like the film industry which is they would just sign lots of artists and then they would pe- take a piece of music and say here go record this and if the person didn't like it then it too bad right tough you got to record because we we own your the rights to your recording. And so we want to do that. Mm -hmm. If, if that has, is that model still a model or, or, are are there, is that not how it works these days with artists? I mean, are they still being sort of, Hey, there's, we've got these group of songwriters and we want you to record this song. And you're like, I don't like this song. It sucks. Then, I mean, yeah, it it seems anyway. me, and, and I don't know,
3: maybe this is just my perception, misperception that maybe, maybe it's like a, you know, I'm thinking of the past, there was this in between time, you know, the time you're talking about where it's like, ah, oh, we just have a bevy of songs and we just bring in some people and mix and match and see what, what gets a hit. You know what I mean? And right. then there's this like time we think of as like the golden age of the songwriter, <laughs> right? Like Bob Dylan, for example, like recording, you know, their own music, um, occasionally covering other things, occasionally letting other people cover. But right there is this like super alignment between I wrote it, I perform it. it's it's my music through and through. But then what's interesting in some of like the research and digging I've been doing to, these lists of, you know, people who are selling these rights, is I'm starting to see probably, I mean, for me, it's behind the scenes, but I'm sure for people who are more attuned to the music industry, it's not these names that I don't recognize of people who are songwriters.. Um, who are really successful songwriters who are still right making their entire career on writing songs for half of the top 40 artists right like that is what they do and I imagine it's sort of probably somewhat what Augie was mentioning too that like these are maybe they're on the staff of these music companies which does sound like a trade off to me, because you're tied to that company uh you've probably got an employment contract that states how much you get because if you're an employee i, I this is great for music companies um they could oh, treat the songwriting the... as a work for hire ah, okay so they would own the work mm-hmm. so it's your employment contract that's going to state how much of a percentage you get as a staff songwriter which i mean has trade offs it's things like you know you know you have a job and the built-in health insurance, right? Like that's that's nice stability. Um, you don't have to go freelancing and bopping around. Um, but again, it's a job. You don't end you don't even start owning the rights possibly to this stuff. It's always under the company. Um, but yeah, yeah lots I, of names I didn't recognize of people who are still still doing exactly what you were talking about in the early day. They are professional songwriters who are pitching or their music is being pitched to artists who are not and I always say, you know, I was talking about the golden age of I I don't think it's not it's not the case that there aren't plenty of artists who are writing and recording their own music these days. But it seems like we've shifted a lot more back to that, you know, what you think of as the early model of it's not necessarily the case.
2: Yeah, um, I mean it, oh, go ahead. Well, I mean, to Hillary's point, to me it's it's kind of sort of fascinating because. Pretty much no matter what genre of music you are talking about, um, but particularly with popular music, there are people who write songs who don't record them, right? They are, you know, whether they be staff writers or, you know, I I was coming across, um, you know, in in the research, you know, some individuals who I was just like, you know. (laughs) <laughs> Who, right? I mean, it's, and, you know, for instance, Andrew Watt, okay, who's written Grammy-winning songs for, you know, Sean Mendez and, and others, right? He sold 105 songs to basically this company that's a hedge fund, okay, uh, Hypnosis, okay, for an eight-figure deal. I'm like... <laughs> First of all, who's Andrew Watt and nothing against Mr. (laughs) Watt. Right.
3: I'm sure he he does. Clearly he's talented. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah, Clearly he's talented. Right. He he's, he's got, he's got a (laughs) finger finger on the pulse of, of what uh, Americans want to listen to and download. Right. But at the same time, okay. I I kind of sort of go back to Hillary's point, you know, are you really an artist? I mean, what was the original purpose of, of copyrights? Okay. Was to go ahead and, you know, provide if you will uh, a a space for artists to go ahead and perhaps make some money on their work, but you're not, I mean, at, at what point do you cross over from being an artist to I'm on an assembly line, right? I'm being brought in to go ahead and write a song for X, X artists. Okay. For their next hit. And, in,
1: Well, and if they don't hit, then I assume that eventually you get dropped, right? Like if you're a staff writer and you're not, and you're consistently turning out songs that are not hits, they're going to blame the artists sometimes, but after a while, they're going to blame the writer. They're going to say, dude, you just don't, you're not performing at the level that we need you to perform. But I'm also fascinated by the idea that one song can be oh. sold hundreds of times to hundreds of artists to record. And I'm thinking about uh, Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like, there are 9,467 versions yeah. of Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Uh, of which i think probably three or four hundred are probably legal and everybody else probably just recorded it but i mean like if you put in hallelujah on youtube it it, it's just and we and hillary i'm going to come back to youtube in a minute because i want to ask you about people who sing songs without getting permission but but this the the sort of everybody in the world has covered this song just like and I know they're all in the public domain, so it, it's not quite the same thing with Christmas music. But you're not an artist till you've put out a Christmas album. Like, you, you can't, yes. I don't care what kind of music, there are hip-hop Christmas albums. Like, you, you're sort of morally required, apparently, <laughs> in the United States to put out a, a Christmas album. Like, yeah, yeah, well, but where's your Christmas album? Once you achieve a certain status. Right. You, you... People are expecting that.
2: Yeah. In, in fact, you have to achieve a certain status mm-hmm. and then the expectation kicks in. Well, when are you
1: but cranking out a Christmas, a Christmas album? album? Right. <laughs> When's my Snoop Dogg Silent Night going to show up? Right. Like that's and there's some weird I don't know. That's very American to me. It's very funny, but it is kind of interesting. So the artist who wrote that song, who wrote Hallelujah, makes a little bit of money every time mm-hmm. that song is sold to an artist to record.
3: Yes, as long as they've still got some piece of the rights. Do they get to them to s- from the publishing company then? Do
1: they get to say, "Augenbot, heck no, he's not recording my song." No, is so it- there's no. A,
3: no, there's a concept called and it's and this is I'm glad you brought up YouTube and the concept of covers from people who aren't even necessarily right like career um, musicians. Compulsory licensing, that's what all of these layers of companies are set up for um, to do this at scale. So no, you go to the company, you get permission to do it. And like, like the example with Dolly Parton, who didn't even know that Whitney Houston was doing it. And so you imagine if someone just wanted to cover, you know, some a new artist, up and coming artist, wanted to cover the song, the person may never even know who who's covering. And YouTube is interesting because platforms have to set up the same things. They have to set up these same licensing streams. So like what will probably happen on YouTube is the the algorithm or whatever is gonna hear the chords, the notes, the words, whatever of hallelujah. And the algorithm has probably become self-aware at this point and is like, oh my gosh, it's another (laughs) hallelujah. Um, (laughs) Here we go. Uh, And it will, I, I expect it's probably gonna ask the person uploading that cover hey, we, we pick up some copyrighted content here. So either you let us put advertisements on it to monetize it, you're not going to get money from it. Um, or you can't put it up and that money is going to go to the copyright holders. And that's the case too. I mean, I've seen this happen with, um, I mean, not for profit, you know, educational videos, but say you're critiquing or commenting on a copyrighted work and that algorithm picks it up. It's going to say, Hey, if this is going to go on our platform, we've we've got to bring in some revenue because we have we have to pay the copyright holders for use of this work, and it would be the same right with video clips, movie clips, that kind of thing. Okay,
2: but it's funny, uh, Nia, you mentioned Hallelujah because there was a period in the late 1990s and roughly the first five or six years of this millennium where you would be hard pressed to go a month without <laughs> watching the credits of a TV show or a movie that did not have some version of hallelujah. Right. I mean, there were chat rooms. Okay. With pitched battles over who had the best version of hallelujah. Right. right? Okay. Cause you had Leonard Cohen fans who, you know, Leonard Cohen wrote the song, right.
1: And, and recorded he, it.
2: And he recorded it. Right. But you had Leonard Cohen fans who were like, you know jeff buckley's version which is probably the the most Best played mm-hmm, uh, yeah. cover okay you know that's you know crap and then you know you got <laughs> other you know and, and, but in every time it played leonard cohen okay was cashing a royalty check mm-hmm. right okay he was cashing
1: a royalty <laughs> check. and i assume that with some people they don't care who records their music they're like dude it's money Right, just yeah. Because I don't I, care I, if Motley Crue does a terrible version of Hallelujah. I don't know if they've done one or not, but if they did and they did a terrible version of it, he's like, "Where's my check?" Right? Like, well, I mean, there may mean, be some of that, and then there may be some yeah. people. I know that Dolly Parton held tight to her to her later, and she doesn't now. She does not sell her music at all, her publishing rights at all, because she wants to control who records things and where they're used and stuff like that and she's been very pleased with some of the people that she has let record um I, I want to say them. Lil Nas recorded Jolene mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and she was very happy with that recording and supported him and you know was very positive about it but like I mean, I would be willing to bet that Taylor Smith Taylor Swift won't sell another thing <laughs> like <laughs> That she, she will have some and sort and of and iron she contract. She won't have to
2: mm-hmm. because she's made so much money. I mean, uh, I don't. Uh, she, but, if she ever goes to one of these companies and wants to go ahead and sell her songwriting rights, okay. Oh my gosh, she can okay, name any okay. price. The, 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 yeah. I mean,
1: they're, they're same with Beyonce,
3: who yeah.
1: could name any price she wanted, but yeah. I bet she won't do it either for a variety <laughs> of reasons.
3: Or, but, <laughs> or, or like could you, say, actually, come in the room and say, I'm keeping everything. I'll let you have a piece. Right. Right. You can, you can get some of the piece of this from me and reverse. Cause once you achieve, right. Once you achieve a certain level, I'm sure you, you probably can go into a room and and reverse that. You could say you get 30% instead of me getting 30%. Mm
1: -hmm. But I have a, a, a question about, so, um, And Hillary, this is just me asking your opinion. So feel free to say this is just my opinion and not, you know, although we have a disclaimer on this entire podcast, by the way, that is, these are just our opinions and don't sue VCU or us. Um, (laughs) Do you think that, that artists are more empowered these days or less empowered these days than in sort of previous iterations of the music industry are they able to reach their fans directly in a
3: different way that empowers them I I think on balance of a few things I'm going to mention I think they're more empowered um but okay I think I think in some ways they're less empowered because these companies, they have so much money. They have incredible lobbying power, right? They have dominance in the industry. Um, but at the same time, I, I mean, I think of just the internet, right? Like you can Google and look up what a contract should look like. You've got a forum online where you can hear from people who said that these are red flags. You shouldn't be signing a deal like this. Um, there are artists who buck the whole system and say, I'm not doing this. I'm releasing my music directly, you know, through streaming or online and who don't go with large or, companies or, or who form independent companies. And I think that, you know,
2: yeah, they create their own labels. Mm-hmm. You know, so for instance, one of my favorite artists is Jason Isbell. Um, yep. And after a while he just went in and created his own record label. Mm-hmm. It was just like, I I'm done, you know, trying to negotiate. Uh, this is my label. I will pick what I want to release. Um, and now he's actually releasing other people's music. Okay. Yeah, but they're just
1: like, hey man, can you release my music? And he's like, sure.
2: Yeah. And they're friends of his, or they he likes their music, or he, he thinks that they haven't been given a large enough platform. Um, so he's, you know, is you know, Hillary, to your point. On one hand, you're seeing more ways for artists to get their music out. Yeah. But I mean, let's face it, the streaming services, okay. um,
3: (sighs) I can't imagine being an independent artist or a small company trying to deal with that. Trying to, or trying to
1: compete. There's Mm -hmm. no way. But by the same token, I can't remember which artist it was recently that said to Spotify. You're, oh, you're not going to play about... my music until you, until you stop doing it in order. There was something about the order of the album. Like they wanted oh, the album thought, played, I, they wanted the you're... album played in order of creation. Cause there's a, huh. cause oh. albums the way they re-
3: originally released. Exactly. Or
1: albums yeah. are for anybody who's uh, some artists put together their album. The song is like an arc through the album, right? It tells a story or it, or it, it blends in a way that they've carefully thought about. It's not that it should be done alphabetically or it should be done whatever, but the streaming services allow you to change the order of the songs that an album will play. And I can't remember if it was Taylor Swift or it was somebody who said, no, 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 that my album is going to be played in the order that I, that I want it to be played in. And the streaming company said, uh, yes, ma'am. Because the you level have to of have the have power enough, differential. You, yeah. But you have to have enough clout.
3: Right. Yeah. I'm assuming that that I couldn't do that if I had an album on Spotify. like <laughs> I mean, No, because what I understand, I, if if I understand this right, Spotify, I don't know if this is the case now, but at one point, Instead, because right, they've got to go through and find the rights for these songs—the recording rights and the composer rights—and they've got to do research in some cases to figure out, you know, who this money should be going to and how to get it to them. But they, at at one point, I believe, basically set up a fund in a legal department to say, "Well, we just know we're going to miss some things. We might get sued. We're just going to put some money over here. Go ahead and put the music up," because they they really wanted to get as much music up as possible even if they had not, maybe had not yet identified the right people, they weren't confident that they'd gotten everything right. Cause I mean, this stuff is obviously, it's very complex. If you're trying right. to pull up, they have some really cool music that they have added there that you, in some cases it's really hard to find in physical forms or in other places anymore. Um, but they set aside money knowing, Hey, we're we're probably going to get sued. So they went for, let's just get it up. And then later, <laughs> we'll, we'll, you know, we'll we'll see what what happens. Well, and, and I know were, some There artists... were a whole
2: bunch of lawyers who did a whole bunch of risk analysis. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, and and in bean counters accounts who were just like, okay, so if we lose a certain number of lawsuits, but we make this amount of money, we're going to still come out ahead.
1: Okay? Well, it's the Ford Pinto argument. Yes, right, internal right. documents where they said we'll just pay off families that blow up
2: yes because
1: it's cheaper than changing the assembly line yes to change yep. the the physical make of the of the car
3: yep. and once that came out then of course <laughs> yeah. all hell broke loose but and i'm assuming they could say you know some of these there were there were probably considerations like you know early songwriters some of them are probably dead. Maybe their heirs don't even know they have rights. Maybe the early publishing companies folded in. And we just, we don't know who owns the rights. And well, probably, I mean, probably no one's going to come forward to call right. us on it. So we pocket that money, actually. And
2: in, 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 in Hillary, you raised, your, your last statement raised a really interesting point uh, in regards to heirs.
1: Oh, my like, great googly mooglies. Are musicians, uh, it, are musicians just seem to be significantly worse at arranging their <laughs> but, wills than every other person but, on the But planet. can you, but I you can kind I, of
3: see why now if they well, said, oh, I do, this, I do right, see like, why now, because they've got 17 really different contracts and, yeah. But well, I, I mean, mean he, you look at Prince's death. I was just going to mention what Prince. to his catalog? His estate,
2: like, okay. Oh
1: my goodness. I mean, but what Michael was it? Jackson, for, same thing.
2: I mean, what was it? Three or three and a half, four years after Prince's death, Okay. Because he had not left a clear will, right? Okay, um, you couldn't even download stuff. You couldn't download his music, okay, in many platforms because the 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 the, the heirs could not come to an agreement on who was going to get what. So until that got worked out, there were like no release of his music, no streams, okay. You couldn't even find some of his more popular songs on YouTube, right? They've now all finally worked that out, but nevertheless, okay, and he was prolific, right? Yeah. I mean, he wrote songs, some of which he never recorded, but other artists did and right. had hits
1: with, right? Okay, Um well, and I'm now I agree with you, Hillary. I'm now starting to understand if seventeen thousand companies own bits and pieces of your catalog, which may be the case as you move through different recording studios with different, you know, oh, yeah, different stages and, of and your career and different bands. I yes, mean, right. Uh, Eric Clapton's oh, yeah. Eric Clapton's mm-hmm. been in like what thirty bands. I mean, he's well, how about and the, he's the, done the individual work of and
2: Crosby, Stashed me.
1: Crosby, Crosby, Stass, stills, St- St- stills, Crosby Dash, stills Nash Stash, and young young, right yeah,
2: okay, um I mean it, it or or think about the band, the band, where they're still arguing about who wrote what songs
3: right
1: some or of the how men- many how many uh-huh. drummers have died in how many rock bands and been replaced <laughs> yeah. like it's bad to be a drummer in a rock band, I'm just saying they, they kick it a lot. Um, can, the, can, can we, you
2: know. can we touch upon one last point? Cause I get asked this question a lot from my students. Why would these artists sell out? Right. You know, and part of me is, is so hardened to hear young people say, <laughs> why are they selling out? I'm, I'm like, Oh, God bless you. Right. And, and I just go ahead and I point out and Hillary, you mentioned this earlier in the podcast episode. Okay. Not only is the contractual arrangements so complicated, but the financial planning aspect of this is extremely complicated. The tax, when you combine the copyright code with the tax code, there aren't enough attorneys in the world (laughs) to go ahead and figure out the mess, right? But the bottom line is, for many of these artists, not only has the music landscape changed, so, you know, if you're looking for a guaranteed source of revenue on your life's work, okay, um, don't rely on your royalty checks from the streaming services, right? And you add COVID-19, right, Mm -hmm. where you couldn't tour. Okay, that was another source of revenue that was removed.
1: Well, and touring is expensive.
2: Oh, like oh, the overhead putting on a decent are, show. Oh, the overhead costs are just
3: phenomenal. Is, I yes. mean, not to All not to mention, I imagine like the years it shaves off of your life. Yeah. Right, <laughs> right, like I just imagine no, like, it's just it's, physical, it seems like it's physical not difficulty, you, right, like, oh my
1: goodness, uh, so uh, I spent a summer following Bruce Springsteen around, don't judge, and um <clears throat> went to several of his concerts, and he plays for two and a
3: half hours straight, like he he visibly loses weight on stage and that's because why he made so much. so much money selling his his uh master recordings as well because he had so many sorry side note so many live concerts oh, recorded I, didn't he that he oh my gosh yes. made an incredible amount of money on that oh okay
2: mm-hmm. three hundred songs 20 studio albums 23 live albums mm-hmm. okay and a whole bunch of music that's already been recorded but it's never been released. Okay. I mean, th- there are estimates that he has easily 700 songs. Okay. That have been recorded in studios that have never been released. And he sold all of that to, I think it was Sony. Yes. Okay. Oh my God. Sony for <laughs> a half a
1: billion dollar, a half a billion. Okay. <laughs> And then he went and had a Broadway show. Yes. Then he went and had a Broadway show and made money hand over fist doing that. But, but can we just side note um, something? So Augie's talking about the taxes and the difficulty with Mm -hmm. financial planning and all that kind of stuff. We're also talking here about mega artists. We're not, your average person in the music industry isn't making this kind of money. Just like your average actor in the, in the film industry is not Brad Pitt. Your average actor in the film industry is a character actor that is making significantly less money. So part of me is like, dude, if you can get the money, sure. Go yeah. for it, right? Yeah. Especially from these companies, but although it does make me wonder what happens to the smaller artists yeah. because I don't think they're getting those kinds of mo- that kind of money. But I have a last question that I want to make sure we get in, which is so John Augenbaugh, brilliant songwriter, Writes a fantastic song, and and he sells it for a billion dollars, right? Like he sells it for for let's do let's it go one billion. He sells it for a billion dollars. I mean, it,
2: it, it, it's amazing. It, Adele amazing.
1: records it, Beyonce records it, Drake records, everybody records it, and it, and it's, and it's in a variety of and formats. And it's,
2: and it's in every movie. And it's, it's at in the end every of, movie, every TV
1: show. It's Totally fabulous, and it's, because he. Um, is careless. He goes out for a jog, and he gets run over by a goat, and he dies. (laughs) Okay, so now this fabulous song is out there, and there are millions of dollars, and his heirs know, his heir knows that she's got this money, and that's not the question. The question for me is, he has sold that to Hillary Miller Publishing. How long can Hillary Miller Publishing make money from that, before it enters the public domain and it is no longer a
2: revenue generating
1: (laughs) a revenue generating thing how long before when leonard cohen passes and how how long before hallelujah Mm -hmm. moves like can the company just keep it in perpetuity because they
3: bought it so the typical the length of copyright Uh, the length uh, that copyright lasts in a work is uh, typically the life of the author plus 70 years. So due to John's untimely (laughs) goat-related death, (laughs) (laughs) um, the the counter starts going from then. It's going to be 70 years out. Okay. Now, if he were, let's say he were- So his daughter will get royalty checks- for 70 years. Yep. Cause that's, once it falls in the public domain, nobody gets nothing from it okay. anymore. Now let's say, let's say he, well, no, it's all life, life of the author, but let's say it was a he was a staff writer and he worked for hire for a company and the copyright was always a work for hire. It was always owned by my publishing company. Um, Corp, they call it like corporate copyright length. It's ninety-five years after, I believe, after publication. So let's say the song came out. I don't know, last year, ninety-four years then, right? Like it's it's already counting okay. from the time. The really interesting thing, though, that you just brought to mind for me, modern day, like thumbs up. We're we're do, we're doing better on figuring all of this stuff out. But I mentioned. um well, we've talked about a lot of examples of music that was recorded before 1972. Watching your faces to see, if you understand. Before 1972, sound recordings were not covered under federal copyright law. And so you get piecemeal state level law in the US that covers this stuff. And so as copyright has been revised over time. Like I think just a couple of years ago we had the Music Modernization Act, which is trying to deal with streaming and make things more equitable, right? Like more fair for artists and dealing with streaming companies. You have all these attempts to kind of like fix that basically. So I, I think they reset, for example, like they said, okay, fine, everything recorded pre-72 is all going to fall into the public domain. I don't, you know, at, at some point. Like I think it's yeah. Uh 20 2067 or something like that things are going to start coming in the public domain so they've really? had to like grandfather so like the beatles, things so the beatles in.
1: music and the rolling stones music music that i that my older siblings played when i was a kid is going to come into the public domain. oh man so satisfaction is going to come into the public domain
3: in 2067 i think that's right i think they set some date to kind of deal okay. with it at the federal level, if I'm remembering right, what they did with the music modernization act. So I only but they, they, were, they were pulling a bunch years? of different pieces of law together into one final act. So there were a lot of things that were proposed under that. Um, but I mean, you can it, see, right. It's an active area of legislation, like much, I think more so than a lot of other areas of copyright because of how quickly it's changing. Like no one was anticipating streaming. I mean, base copyright law still talks about phono records. right um it's not talking about it's not talking about streaming or any of this
1: okay so so i want to just warn listeners that in 2067 i will be recording (laughs) satisfaction
3: (laughs) but why Um, wait? compulsory licensing you can do it now i i will be very old but it will be free um
1: wow That, well, I mean, I guess you would have to sort of start the clock at some point, like some arbitrary point, because what would you do otherwise in order to make the law equal to everyone, right? Otherwise, you'd get the uneven. Yeah, I don't even know know
3: how you would deal with all that state law. Like, where was music published? I guess you would say where the publishing house was, where the record company, I I don't even know. And all the artists from
1: Motown that went, went down to Alabama to record. At Muscle
2: Shoals. At so, Muscle Shoals, where would so, the
1: where would the law so would be, be? Is yeah. it the Michigan yeah, so be law? Because, yeah, because
2: yeah, because you know, Mo, you know, uh, uh, Motown's uh, oh. corporate headquarters were in Detroit. Right. That's but a great all- question
3: because copyright's about when it's fixed, right? So like was it where yes. it was recorded and fixed in a tangible medium? Was it where it was published? Was it I I can't even begin to answer that question because <laughs> it's it would be. Such a mess, and that's only in the U.S. I mean, we didn't even touch on global rights, right? Like music copyright looks different for other countries. So if you're a, oh yeah, a I mean European band who made it big in your home country and in the U.S. across the world, I can't imagine ABBA, right? Like how complicated ABBA's rights probably are, or
2: the well, Stones. And I, mm-hmm. well, I, I was just going to mention the EU, mm-hmm. okay, the European Union. I mean, because yep. well, you know, <laughs> <yeah>. and with <laughs>
1: Brexit, where is Adele now? Like, <laughs> yeah. right? Because yes. Brexit, what? Because part of her first, her first two albums would have been under the EU. Oh my God! No, her th- first three albums, the but her next three. album, yeah. but her next album that comes out won't be. It'll and, be and, under Brexit,
2: and then it begs the question: Where did she record them? Right? Did she record them in Great Britain, or did she record, for instance, the last album in LA?
1: Uh, I think she's recorded all of them in Britain.
2: Okay, but which uh, might uh, be
1: helpful to her, but yeah, yeah, but yeah, I mean, that's a complicated if your country suddenly leaves the understanding that they've all had for, oh my goodness, that's a whole separate episode. Now, like I
2: said, you combine all the copyright issues then with all the tax issues, okay,
1: it's there easier are, to sell
2: okay, there there are not enough attorneys
1: <laughs> right there it's is easier not a, to sell
2: there there is not a large enough conference room okay <laughs> House all, oh all, my all gosh! In can, you,
1: can you imagine the convention center gets rented by Adele, and they're like, <laughs> "Why is Adele renting? Is she going to hold a private concert?" And so they're like, "No, she's going to have it's all the hilarious. lawyers right from every publishing company that's got a piece of the world Oh my great, that would be a mess. But you know what? That makes it make sense to me why artists and why younger artists might be doing it while they can consolidate all of this
2: well and and for younger artists this is financial security right if you don't know what the marketplace is going to look like whether in regards to the taste of consumers but also what you might be able to reasonably expect from royalties in the future but you have some investment fund that wants to go ahead and give you 25 million dollars okay And it gets taxed once, right. Okay. It gets taxed once. Okay. Uh, And if you have any kind of, you know, uh, financial planning firm at your disposal, you basically know, okay, what you're going to be pulling in every year. Mm -hmm. Okay. Every year. You just know that. Although,
1: although $50 million in these people's lives and the way the lifestyles that they live, I'm not sure how long that would last. <laughs> Bob Dylan is living a pretty chill life. It's probably going to last him till he dies, but, and same with Springsteen. But if you're one of those young bucks who's living in a huge house and you have a huge entourage and there's all these things that you have to support. I mean, it's why, it's, it's why athletes sign multimillion dollar contracts and end up, Bankruptcy. Living in a box on the side of the road because they don't.
2: I mean, it's it's like the management the is a
1: hard thing to do.
2: It's like the winners of lotteries. Mm-hmm. Okay, the the bankruptcy rate of winners of, of, of lotteries is significantly higher than the right. general population. I mean, it's. <laughs> but can we leave
1: on a positive note? I want to sure. leave on a positive note. I want to leave a, leave on the three of us sitting in a wealthy in a in a restaurant in Paris.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: With a bunch of wealthy people. our champagne about. Having our champagne and saying, oh, yachts on the Mediterranean, that's so 2000. <laughs> I own part of Bruce Springsteen's music catalog. I think that's such a funny like mm-hmm. bragging thing it's in augie's notes at the end of his notes and i thought that's a great way to end this podcast is the three of us sitting around talking about Here, we own. now between the three of us listeners we might own a tenth of a quarter of a percent of somebody's catalog because the three of us probably oh, I, I think all we of would... our money together right now we couldn't buy anywhere close to any we might be able to buy like i said a tenth of a quarter of a song like
2: <laughs> Yeah, so some throwaway <laughs> song from you right, know, that nobody you know, cares about. <laughs> Michael Bublé's you know catalog, right? Okay.
1: Right. right. But but that, that's funny to me that that's become a status symbol for wealthy people instead of, you know, a a a yacht in the south of France. They they talk about owning part of someone's music catalog and that's great. If it's somebody that other people go, ooh, you own part of so and so's music catalog, Whitney Houston, that's amazing. But you know, you own part of, oh, I don't know, Millie Vanilli's catalog. That's just gonna be a that's just gonna be people laughing at you behind your back. So <laughs> I would think that you'd have to pick the right artist for that to be a <laughs> You know what I mean? Like that's gonna have to be somebody people around the table respect, not somebody people around the table go, hey, aren't they known for lip syncing? But uh yeah. Hillary, do you have such aspirations?
3: <laughs> to to own uh uh-huh. the work? No, you you know me. I'm I'm more on the side of let it let it free free it, put it in the public domain. Um, I think I think that's probably what I would want to do at some point. I mean, but then again, you know. On the whole, and thinking about this, when you you know, Augie, you said students ask about selling out. It actually makes a lot of sense to me now that you would get no matter where you are in your career, you would you would say you know if I can trade off enough money and financial security, and let the lawyers go do what they're gonna do, and let the companies go do what they're gonna do and monetize, I can be over here, and I can keep making my music, right? I imagine that that's, that's a part of it too, that in in a sense you're getting money, but you're, you're, you're actually not selling out. You are buying yourself out. Freedom. You are getting out of the ship I mean, of dealing with all of that legal I mean, aspects think, and you go back, go back to yeah, the music.
2: Yeah. I mean, think okay. about the sense of freedom. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it might produce, you know, you're 45 years old. You've just gone ahead and sold the rights to your first, you know, seven or eight albums. Right. Um, and now you can go ahead and make whatever music you want to.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You don't have to go ahead and listen to some, you know, dude in a suit from a record label say, you know, you it just needs recorded- to
1: be more techno, because yeah, that's you know, what's you, in right now. Yeah,
2: yeah, you just recorded 15 songs, and I don't hear a hit. Well, you can basically go ahead and say, I Bite don't me. care, right. okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because.
1: Um, it's uh, got to be very freeing. Yes. And it's got to be like when, when professional athletes, they, they stop doing their professional athlete thing, right? They stop being football players or basketball players or whatever, and they go and take up a sport like golf where yeah. there's no stakes for them. They don't have to be fantastic at it. They don't have to make money at it. They don't have to do, nobody telling them what to do with their, with their physical person. They just can be like, yep, I play golf because I get to do a sport and I get not to care. That must that must feel really good.
2: Yeah, so I mean, to your, to your point, Hillary, wow, I mean, if you're truly an artist and be able just to go ahead and say, I don't care if there's a market for this. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I don't care if there's a company that wants to go ahead and buy it and market it. I can just sit down with my friends and write what I think are really good songs and maybe play it at a local coffee shop or a <laughs> bar. Mm-hmm. Okay? And whether or not you know I make any money on this is irrelevant. I'm just making good music. That's got to, from an artist's perspective, that's got to be so free, yep. right?
1: Yeah, um, getting back to what you did why you got into it in the first place. First place, yep. yeah, yeah. Yeah, cool. Yep. All right, well, thanks for coming, Hillary. We really appreciate you, you coming and talking to us. This is really complex, and I'm assuming that it's a moving target. So, as there are more changes. All um, the time, yep. Then maybe you'll come back and talk to us, maybe someday if he really wants to make a mark in the world. Um, Elon Musk will buy a huge number of people's catalogs and just instantly put them into the public domain. <laughs> and just tell everybody, go wild. Make make music videos with this. Do artistic <laughs> music. Have a great time. That would be awesome. Do you hear me, Mr. Musk? That would be awesome. Wow. I could record Satisfaction much earlier than I'm going <laughs>
2: Just saying. And I don't ha- and I don't have to worry about being run over by a goat when you know I exactly. go out for
1: a run. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just saying, goats, watch out for goats. All right, thanks, y'all. Thanks, Hillary. Thanks.
0: You've been listening to Civil Discourse, brought to you by VCU Libraries.